Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community as well as the global improv community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And I am delighted to tell you all that today's guest is the fantastic Laura Hall. You know her from Whose Lines It Anyway. She's been on our screens for years and this is a conversation that is a real bucket list moment for me and I am delighted to be able to bring you this great chat that I had with Laura. Now, I will just say a couple of things about the chat. The the chat from, from Laura's end when we were recording this, she was in her new house and that meant she was in a big empty room. And I realized after the chat had happened that that created a weird bit of an effect on her voice. And it sounded like in the background there was just a ghost going in the background. So I have done my best. I am no technical wizard when it comes to all the editing of things. I've done my best to fix things up to make it as good as possible. And Laura's voice sounds absolutely fine. But in doing that, uh, in making the changes that I had to make to get Laura's voice to sound good, I had to take the quality away from my voice a little bit. I don't really know why it worked that way, but that's the way it worked. So my voice uh, sounds a little bit different to normal, I think. But I think the overall quality is still great, and it's a really, really great interview that I am super excited for you all to listen to. So, yeah, I apologise, as I said, for any uh, slight differences to the, the sound quality that you're used to. There's also a tiny little bit in there where we lost connection ever so slightly. We were doing this on Zoom and I, I've edited it to the best of my ability. And so all you hear is a very quick jump on a couple of words uh, and that's sort of halfway through the interview and that's about it. But other than that, this is, this is going to be a real treat for your ears. Don't forget, this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now it's time to go off script and find out Laura Hall's true story about making stuff up. Please welcome to the show this week's guest, whose line is anyway legend, Laura Hall. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Ian. I am super excited to be talking to you today. You are someone that has been high on my list of people I, I'm just super excited to talk to about improv one day. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Thanks. I'm sort of the, the specialist in the specialist. You know what I mean? Like being an improv musician is the the niche in the niche, you know? Yeah. And I think, like, to me, you are the unsung hero of Whose Lines It Anyway, because you've just been there for such a long time doing a really key job, but you're not the one that gets all the plaudits, if you know what I mean. Right. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That is very much the nature of being a musician in improv. I think a lot of people don't even realize exactly what you do or or how it supports the show or anything. They just know that it, the show is good. You know what I mean? But they don't quite understand the role of music in it. So I always, that's like, you know, one of my favorite subjects to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a super niche thing. So how did you, how did you get to that point? 
where you are the person doing the music for Who's Line? Yeah, it, well, it was a it was an unintentional journey in a lot of ways. So I um, I I was a music student in Chicago. My sister worked next door to Second City and got me a job as a waitress. And um, and it was a great college job, you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, I at that point I was studying composition and piano. I wasn't at all thinking I'm going to be an improv musician, you know. <laughs> but once I got to Second City, the, the uh, musical director there at the time was Fred Kaz, who had basically been there since the very beginning, since the 60s. Fred was the one who sort of created how music works in improv in American improv like he was the one from the very early days of Second City and so I was like I just got totally sucked in without thinking that was the thing that was going to happen I thought it's a good waitress job you know so then I started with the touring company at Second City and it was just a natural transition because I was already working there I was still in college, so I was just doing the occasional gig here and there. Then after I graduated, I was out on the road a lot. And that was like my master's degree. You know, being on the road night after night, different venues, different audiences, that's when you really learn how to do it, you know. Yeah. And um and then we moved to we moved to Los Angeles. And I was like, I think I'm gonna take a break from doing improv because being an improv musician felt like sort of financially and everything, a little bit of a dead end. Like there's only so far to go. And I wanted to focus on some of the other things, songwriting, playing in bands, composition. And I did that for a few years. I took film scoring classes. I loved it, you know, all that stuff. And then I got the call to audition for Who's Line. And it was from my old friend, Ron West, who I knew from Second City in Chicago. So it was sort of this, this loop, you know, and, uh, and, so I was like, I'm doing improv again. Yay. <laughs> you know, because it wasn't that I didn't enjoy improv. I just felt like, oh, career wise, I need to expand, yeah. you know. So I auditioned and it's one of the very few auditions I've gone to where I'm like, I'm kind of perfect for this. I know <laughs> how to do this. And I hardly ever feel that way at auditions, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so I got to audition with Wayne Brady and Brad Sherwood. And we all three got the job out of the audition. Oh, awesome. And was this for the, still the UK version when they did that American season? It was the hybrid. Yeah, I call it the hybrid, right? Yeah. So we had um, Clive, but we were shooting in America. Yeah. yeah. And those were sort of the test ones for the American version. Okay. So they used those on at, on test audiences in America and they... Loved it because ABC just didn't quite believe that this was going to go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they used them on test audiences and they loved it. And then it was like, OK, now you add Drew Carey, who was just America's sweetheart. And like his show was the most popular show on ABC and consistently one of the most popular shows on TV. And Drew is such a like everybody likes him. He's such a guy, you know, he's such a. <laughs> Uh, I mean, not that people don't like Clive, but you know what I mean? Like, it was like, if people like, if Americans like this with Clive, who has a rather British, rather dry sense of humor, they're going to love it with their sweetheart, Drew Carey. And it was exactly right. So I did those first ones. And literally, like most projects that you do, I thought, well, I got six episodes and that was cool. (laughs) It was really great to work with those guys. It was great to meet Clive, you know, all that. 
I really didn't think it was going to happen. I don't know why. I guess you always do that to kind of protect yourself, right? Because if you get, you know, like anything, any any television series, anything, if you go like, yeah, th- I, this is going to happen and it's going to be great, it's going to run for 15 years. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you have to kind of go, okay, if it happens, it does. If it doesn't, that's okay. Yeah, and I guess you said going into it that it was one of the rare, in, uh, one of the rare opportunities where you felt that you were really right for this. So yeah. I guess I guess you, you would have seen it as a sort of an extra slap in the face if it didn't work out. Right, right. But if it didn't work out, well, and, and actually, I mean, I didn't even know if the whole show was going to go. You yeah. know what I mean? But but they did when they, um, so when they picked it up and when they did decide to pick it up with Drew, the producers gave me a call and they were like, um, we, you know, the show got picked up and we got, I think it was 10 episodes was our first order after that, you know, with Drew and I could hear the but in their voice. I could hear the, okay, but what? And like, I thought they were going to say the show got picked up, but they're not picking up you for whatever reason. And, and then he says, but the network kind of has a problem with you. And I'm like, really? (laughs) And he said, well, it's not you exactly. It's your hair. And I'm what? They had me wear, in those early episodes, I had to wear those huge black headphones, yeah, which was how they did it on the British show. But I kept saying, can't I just have a monitor and not have to wear like giant, <laughs> I think because I'm smaller and also it just made my hair all crazy, you know, it was impossible. <laughs> and I was, and so those whole first episodes, I was like, can't I just have a floor monitor and not headphones? And they're like, no, 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 that's how we've always done it. And then he's like, well, the network likes you, but they don't like your hair. And I'm like, I've got a solution to that problem. (laughs) (laughs) So that was how I got my floor monitor instead of having to wear the headphones. I was and I was so grateful. I hated wearing the headphones. Yeah, understandable. Yeah. You're there for a long time, right? Yeah. And it's just then it's like, even though you're hearing the actors through the headphones, because they're mic'd and they're in your mix, you're, you're a step removed. You know, and I always like anytime I'm doing improv, I want to be as close physically as I can to the actors. I need to be able to see and hear. I want to feel like I'm right in the middle of it. Um, And that's, you know, the way that you stay connected and have that back and forth. You know, so it just felt like it was a step removed from them. And I never want that. Yeah, yeah, understandable. And with the the playing of, of the music throughout the show, You've been playing some of those, like the hoedown, Irish drinking song. You've been doing that same thing sort of repeatedly for years and years and years. Do you still get the same enjoyment when you do it? Um, I, you know, I do. The enjoyment isn't necessarily out of the playing of the thing because I've played it so many times. The, then because, because those are set forms and in a way, you I don't want to say you don't have to pay attention, but you know what's coming next. You know it's going to be the four actors and they're going to be in a row and they each have four lines. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know what's happening. So then I can listen to them more. So it's fun because they're good at it. And so it's fun. I can sort of hear and I can recognize, you know, I've been working with them long enough. It's like I recognize sometimes when they're setting something up or, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's fun because it's fun to hear them do it. When we're doing something that's not like a preset form, like the hoedown or Irish drinking song, yeah. 
then in a way I'm half listening to, are we going to a chorus or, you know, is there going to, is there going to be a second verse and then go to the chorus? Do we want a double chorus? Is it time to end? You know, so you're kind of thinking about those structural things more and really listening in for that. But then it's almost like I don't hear the, it's not that I don't hear what's funny about it. I just hear it in a different way because I'm focused on that stuff. So sometimes people, like one of the questions people ask me a lot is how do you not just crack up the whole time you're playing because they're singing these funny songs. And I'm like, it registers, but it's like I'm so focused on kind of um, guiding the form and making sure everyone's, you know, if we're getting to a chorus and other people are coming in to sing, you know, just all of that, that I'm not hearing it in the same way. And then I'll watch the episode and I'm like, that was hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> but at the time, I'm sort of too in it. Or, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, there's something I notice, and during the songs, like you don't actually get that much airtime because it's often sort of zoomed in on the face of the performers, but sometimes sure. there's wider shots and you are there and I can see you and I can see Linda at the side of you. And I notice with things like Hold Down and Irish Drinking Song, you're always sort of just sort of laughing and smiling and sort of paying attention a bit to what is going on. But in things like Greatest Hits, for example, I noticed there's a bit more concentration. And I, I guess that's because that is when you're going through that process of working out, oh, what am I going to do next? Right. And the other thing you don't see is that oftentimes Linda and I are, are talk, you know, talking or visually cueing each other. Because, right, we're not only needing to be there for the actors, but we need to be on the same page. So we have the kind of triangle so, yeah, it just, it takes some concentration and it takes some, you know, like a real focus. So we are oftentimes calling things back and forth, you know, like, let's go to a chorus, let's go to the four chord, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and, but you don't see, you don't <laughs> see that. It's like, you, you don't see, it's like a duck on the water. You don't see the feet underneath going, you know, paddle, 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 right? It's just gliding along, right? <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite things to watch on Who's Line is Greatest Hits, and it's that moment where Colin and Ryan will reveal the musical style. And I'm always immensely impressed at how literally they say something and then it goes straight to you starting. Now, is some of that editing, or is there sometimes a bit more time where you actually need a moment to think, oh, what's it going to be? Yes, the answer is yes. Also, you'll notice they always say the style first. And then they fool around with getting the title because like, I don't care what the title is, right? I need to, you know, if it's going to be Bob Marley, I need to pull up my reggae drums and, you know, pull up the the sounds and the patches. Now I do have everything, those different sounds kind of, uh, you know, it's set up to be easy to access, right? You just have to, you can't be like, hold on, everyone, I'm going to program this great drum groove now. You know what I mean? Like it has to be. So, um, but yeah, so they give us a little time by saying the genre first, then they usually fool around a little and then the title and then they repeat the genre and then we go, right? So that structure helps. But if it does take longer, you know, like if Linda has to switch from electric guitar to acoustic guitar, which just takes a second, it just gets trimmed out. Right. And a live audience has more patience for that. On TV, you never have that kind of dead air, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the live audience doesn't care if that happens. You know, the audience that's in the room with us, they don't care. And it's an and it's an easy trim because 
they're cutting back and forth. You know what I mean? Like they're cutting from the inland and back. But that's part of, I will just say this, that's part of the genius that Dan Patterson has had with Who's Line is that he's built in those places where you can edit. You know what I mean? So that, so that if you if you need that moment, if I'm having a hard time finding that reggae patch, um, it, it it's just built in that it's easy to trim. And you know, I'll tell you this: it's a secret, but not a secret. If anyone's been to a taping, like if we did greatest hits and it was about garbage men, and on air they'll show three of them, right? Typically, three is sort of the magic improv number, right? <laughs> um, but we probably recorded five or six of them. Okay. And they're picking the best three. They're taking the best three. And they're even putting the best one as the third one, right? So that you have that umph to the end, which is just like good showmanship, right? You want to end with your strongest. Yeah. But it may have been that that was the second one we did, but because it turned out the best, you know, and so all of that in the editing, it's not it's not cheating. It's not that we're not really improvising. It's just that the editing is helping enhance it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, totally. It totally makes yeah. sense. But, um, yeah, but so we're good, but we're not, <laughs> we're not always. <laughs> there are things that fall flat. You know what I mean? And actually, they tend to keep things that go the best, but actually sometimes things that go the worst because that can be funny or interesting in its own way when, when something falls apart. It's the things that just go, eh, you know, those are the ones they they cut out. And I don't blame them. You know, television has a much shorter attention span than a live audience does. Yeah. And the, the thing with Who's Line, I talk about Who's Line with, with friends of mine that aren't into improv at all. And there's so many people that still don't believe that it's all made up. And right. it baffles me. Do you encounter that a lot where people don't believe that it's made up? All the time. All the time. I mean, it's somehow it's like... It's like magic and improv are the two entertainment forms where people are like, oh, you're, you're totally faking it. None of, or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like all they want to do is figure out how you're cheating. Yeah. And it's like it actually would be a lot harder to cheat than to do what we do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, we, I, I sometimes improvise. Uh, uh, there's a group in L.A. Um, called Opening Night, the Improvised Musical. And I know there's groups in London that do it, too, and stuff. But. You know, so you're improvising a full-length um, musical based on one suggestion, right? Yeah. And people afterwards will come up and they're like, so the whole thing's written and then you're just plopping in the suggestion, right? So you have this whole thing written, but you're plopping in princesses because that's what the suggestion was. It's like, no, that actually would be so much harder. And if your audience ever came back a second time, (laughs) they would notice, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know what it is about improv that people want to feel like you're not really doing it. I guess it's because when it goes really well, they can't believe that it can go that well. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. I love it sometimes when I've been in a scene and and you come out of it and you're like, wow, that was really good. And you don't know where it came from and you don't know where the magic happened with your scene partner. But you can see why some people might watch some things and think it's too slick. Right, right, right. And yeah, so right. I think I've tried to explain to people, yeah, we practice as improvisers, but we practice the games and we practice the form. We don't practice with that exact suggestion. 
Exactly. Because that's the thing is if you tell people, oh, yeah, as our team practices or works out, they're like, aha, we've caught you. <laughs> you know? And it's like the analogy that I like to use that a friend of mine uses is it's like athletes practice. They're not practicing exactly how the game is going to go because they don't know because they're playing against a team who's not, you know what I mean? They're playing yeah. against another team who's bringing their stuff in. They're practicing the skills so that when whatever happens with that other team, they they have the skill set to do it. That's what we're doing. We are not going, okay, if we get doctor, we'll say this. If we get, you know what I mean? Like if we get the suggestion of therapist and patient, this is how the scene will go. It's like, no, that's not what we're doing. We're working on our skills to be in the moment. So when we get that suggestion, we can really be right there. Yeah. It's almost the opposite of what people think we do. You know what I mean? Like be really right there and present in whatever the suggestion is, as opposed to, okay, now I'm going to try and remember what we preset for this. It's like the, to me, the opposite end of performance or something. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Makes perfect sense. And now someone that you work with a lot is Wayne, Wayne Brady, Mm -hmm. uh, because he is like the singing genius on whose line. And Mm -hmm. how long did it take you to, develop you've got a great connection together was that instant you said you had that sort of pilot season together was that connection between you sort of instant um not necessarily i mean we definitely sort of got more connected as we went but as you know if you've done a lot of improv you very quickly adjust to the people you're playing with so we were able to quickly adjust in the beginning but i did feel like by the second or third season, we really hit our stride. Um, Wayne is also really, I mean, uh, you know, Wayne is immensely talented on many, many levels. But one of them is he's very good at telegraphing where he's going um, for me to read. Like, I can tell when he wants to go to a chorus most of the time, nine times out of ten. I can tell if he wants to do a dance break. I can tell if he wants the intro to go around a second time. You know what I mean? I just, and part of that is is the time of having done it a bunch, but also part of it is the, um, he's very good at telegraphing. He's very physical and that helps. And he, even in the short form games, he's sort of like accessing emotion and that always helps, you know, like, Yeah. yeah. So, and then he's like, crazy talented he's a soup he's an amazing rhymer which isn't isn't the only thing in music improv by any means but it's he's really good at it he's he's he studies and knows he has a very deep knowledge of of music and he studies it and he spends the time you know he's got this natural ability but he also spends the time to go okay what makes you know, Etta James sound different than Taylor Swift. And if I, you know, what makes these different vocal qualities? I chose two women. That's interesting. But, <laughs> but he does sing. He sings women's, you know, he sings women's voices all the time, too. Um, but he studies it. He works at it. You know, so and a lot of times that's the other thing, like we were talking about before. People think like, oh, if you do improv, you just show up and just play. And but people who are good at it take their time to do that work. Like Greg Proops, 
who's also on Who's Line, but is also a stand-up and does lots of different things. He spends a lot of time studying like current events and stuff because that's his really strong suit. And so he can come in and, you know, we, we hardly ever do stuff that's topical like that on Who's Line, but in a live show or in his stand-up, he knows what's going on in the world. And he can riff, you know, because he's got that information, he can riff on that. Because Wayne has the information about how to sing a lot of different ways and knows music so well, he can riff on that. Awesome. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, a musical improv, it scares a lot of people, even improvisers, really good improvisers. I know loads of great improvisers, but they won't go near musical improv. And I think Colin Mockery is a great example of why you shouldn't be afraid of it because he clearly is not a fan of all the singing stuff, but he still makes it work and he makes it his own. And I, I, I think that there's something quite freeing about musical improv that sort of sets it apart from other improv. I agree a hundred percent. And you know what, like my husband, Rick and I teach music improv workshops a lot and for the singers. I also teach sometimes for musicians, but there's always like a million people who want to do the singing part and there's not that many musicians around. You know what I mean? Unless you're at a festival or something. But anyway, we teach workshops and I always bring up Colin. In fact, I bring up Colin and Wayne as the two ends of the spectrum. You can't compare yourself to Wayne. You can't say, I'll never be able to do it how Wayne does because no one can. He literally is like a savant, you know? And then I'll be like, but there's Colin. Colin, who is not a strong singer, who doesn't love singing, but he does it on television in front of millions of people. So exactly what you said, he makes it his own. He commits to it. He lets go of his self-judgment that he doesn't have, a, you know, he doesn't have a great voice. He'll be the first to say all this, too. I'm not, like, tattling on it or anything, you know. Um, but, yeah, he lets go of his self-judgment. He says, I'm doing improv. And that's the thing, too. When you're singing in an improv context, it's not like you're doing a concert. It's not like you're like, hello, I'm, you know, I'm Celine Dion and I have a fabulous voice and I'm doing a concert. No, you're making up a song on the spot. Like people right there will give you so much credit because you're you're really going out on a limb, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think improv audiences, they're okay with things not being perfect. I think improv and weather people the weathermen and the weather ladies from tv they're like the the two jobs where it's perfectly acceptable to make mistakes yeah exactly exactly and in fact i think especially in live improv you know the the whole thing with whose line is slightly different because being television improv people are less uh not as willing to hang with you because they can change the channel you know there's five other five million other media options you know Um, although even then, sometimes the things that people like the most or are, is when things screw up when, you know what I mean? Like it's partly because that's actually when they see that you're really improvising for one thing. Yeah. Uh, but also there's, there's sort of seeing how it's being made. It gives them a sense of how it's, how it's being done. You know, when, if everything were all slick and polished, that's when they go, oh, that can't be improv. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. So you did mention there about teaching workshops. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that a bit. How how do people access your workshops or, or what sort of things will people learn if they came to one of your workshops? 
Well, we do that. We travel all over. And in fact, right before COVID, we were just starting to do some international travel, and um, and which I was very excited about because, you know, my kids are off in college and we're like, let's hit the road. And so the summer, uh, the first summer of COVID, we were going to be in Europe. And anyway, that's, you know, everybody had stuff that didn't happen because of COVID. But so we travel all over. We typically will go to you know, like if there's an improv group in North Carolina, we will go there and work with them intensively over a weekend. And then it oftentimes ends with the show, right? So we're working on, you know, on skills and concepts, and then we're ending with either a long form or a short form show, depending on what their interests are, or sometimes, you know, different groups within, within an improv group. We do a lot of festivals, and part and what I like about festivals is people a lot of times are this is their first time trying it, yeah. right? Yeah. But they're like, I'm at a festival and I'm taking a bunch of this from Dave Rosalski and that from Joe Bill and you know what I mean? And then I'll try music improv. And um, and I really love working with people who are trying it for the first time. Um, and I think that's one of our strong suits. Rick and my strong suits is really helping people kind of find a way in. Um, and part of it is the stuff that we're talking about, like saying, let go of your self-judgment about singing. No one really cares if you go a little out of tune or you lose the rhythm. Not that you don't want to work on those skills and become better, but what's most important is your engagement, your commitment, your character, you know, uh, much more than whether, oh, he was a little flat there, you know, like nobody cares. Um, so yeah, so we work on a whole variety. We'll do, we do sometimes long form stuff, sometimes short form stuff. Uh, we'll do introductory. Sometimes we'll coach. We often coach groups that are doing music improv who kind of want to up their game. That's another one thing that we really like to do. Um, and then of course during COVID, we were doing a lot of it online, but it's so much better in person. I mean, I know we were all doing improv online and and it was good that we could, but man, I missed, I missed live performance. Yeah. But, I, I think the live performance thing, uh, really hit home to me when we got back out and did our first performance in, in real life with real people watching, not just people laughing off camera. And I was like, Oh yeah, that, that's what we love about a live audience. Absolutely. I like, I like the first live show that I did. And it was, yeah, after like a year and a half, the first live show I did, like when they were applauding at the end, I cried. And it wasn't because like, oh, we were so brilliant. It wasn't that. It was the like, we are connecting in a room with each other as improvisers and with the audience in a way that you just can't do online. There, you know, the human connection piece, which is really the piece that I think so much of us love about being performers, is the is the human connection part. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just it, it it I I I missed it so much, but I it's like you said, I almost didn't realize how much I missed it until I did some live stuff again. And just focusing on the music and the creating for a second, so I. I used to sort of be a performer back when I was a bit younger. I used to gig a lot. And one of the things I used to do as part of my sound check was I used to make up a song on the spot. I would sometimes talk to someone in the audience and I would just make up something on the spot. And it was really fun. And what I loved was 
I was sort of in control of it because I was the musician and the singer, so I had full control over where it's going to go. And I thought, if I gave musical improv a go, I thought, oh, it would come supernaturally to me because I've done that before. But it's not as easy as I thought because often there is a set pattern that you're following or someone else is controlling the narrative because they're dealing with the music. And right. it's not as easy to just come up with the lyrics on the spot when someone else is coming up with the music on the spot. That's so interesting because I find that what you're saying harder, it, to play and improvise lyrics at the same time is harder for me. And I know several musicians who feel that way as opposed to having someone else play for you because then there's sort it's like the musician like you said the musician is a little bit more thinking structurally and then you can sort of be in the in the lyrics a little more but but I know other I know other musicians who are like you though who are like oh no I want to play because I know where everything's going then I'm the one choosing it right so I know where it's going musically even though I'm creating the lyrics on the fly um, but yeah, it is interesting. It is definitely a trust exercise between the singer and the musician, right? And that, for me, that's the sweet spot of the excitement about it, is that we are, we are both leading and following. We're do it's a real follow the follower experience. You know, so there's ways that I lead the singers, there's ways that I follow the singers, and it's all happening like in real time as we go. Sometimes with less experienced singers, I'm leading in a very strong way because they they don't yet sort of have a sense of form or structure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but also sometimes with less experienced singers, you know, if they drop a beat or, if you know, like sometimes someone, they're excited, they're nervous, you're playing a, you know, like a turnaround. So say it's the end of the chorus and you're playing the little piece of music before the next verse starts and they come in in an odd place. They, they're too excited or anxious. Then sometimes you're jumping to, to, to meet them there, right? Yeah. To go, okay, that's the new, that's the new beginning of the verse. And so even if the, the turnaround would be two bars and you came in after one and a half, fine. You know, so it's a really interesting thing, like with beginners, especially in a way you're following more. But in another way, I tend to take a really strong hand with them because they don't necessarily have sort of musical structure in their in their bones yet. Or they're too nervous and excited to kind of access it. Um, but, yeah, it is. I think that back and forth, that following the follower is the really exciting part of doing it for me. Excellent. Now, over here in the UK, we sort of went for quite a few years without any Who's line. And I know there was a big gap in America as well. But then when it came back in the the current format, it was years before it came back over here. It's only recently really made it to our screen. So we've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, there was ways to watch it online and stuff. But to have it sort of on the telly, it's been quite a big deal to have it back here. Right. And I've noticed you work with uh, Linda Taylor in these episodes. And in the older episodes, when Drew was on, you, you, you were with Linda for a while. And then there was Cece Worrell on there as well. And I just, I've always been interested in how much prep time you get sort of with Linda or when there's other musicians. Do you just have a session where you go, right, we're going to work on loads of different styles? Or is, is it you just sort of turn up and you just really do just feel it all out as you go? 
We do. We have to work together. And really, in a way, the more musicians you have, the more you have to have some of that. Um, you know, Linda and I have been doing it long enough now that we have a real common language. And sort of like you were talking about with, with Wayne, you can kind of just tell a lot of times. Um, sometimes there are genres where we go, okay, I'll lead and you kind of be, you kind of be the noodly part. <laughs> on top you know you so if it's a piano driven style if it's like musical theater which tends to be you know 99% piano driven rather than guitar <laughs> driven then she might play something else she might play strings or xylophone or drums you know or something um, but if it's a guitar style if it's Bob Dylan which is acoustic guitar then I am just sort of floating on top so it's those ones are really fun because it's like, okay, you lead and I'll follow or I'll lead and you follow. But sometimes it's much more that we're both doing it. You know, if it's, yeah. a, you know, 80s rock, we're sort of both really engaged because there's lots of like pads from me and guitar from her. So we do work. We definitely work in advance on, on exploring all sorts of different genres. And the tricky part with the show is that in the beginning, we were doing, you know, uh, and and especially like before Linda came, it would be blues, musical theater, reggae, rock and roll, right? But then it started being, you know, Muddy Waters, <laughs> Rodgers and Hammerstein, Bob Marley, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen. So it became more specific. So not only do you have to go, okay, what makes musical theater musical theater, if that's the suggestion, but what makes Rodgers and Hammerstein, Rodgers and Hammerstein specifically, which is a really interesting question, right? You know, so like there's a there's some research involved. You definitely have to. And some of the styles, especially some of the contemporary styles that I was not very familiar with, you know, when the producers were like, we want to do crunk or I don't even remember what it was. I think it was called crunk. And I'm like, I have no clue what that means. So I had to do a bunch of research, you know, so you go online and you find in the beginning, we would get piles and piles of CDs to do research for different styles. Now you can go online. It's a lot easier. But, uh, but yeah, so you do have to, like, if we're going to do dubstep, and I'm not super familiar with dubstep, I definitely have to do some research. And then Linda and I have to do some playing together to see how it feels to play together. Now, we're still improvising, and the actors, and, you know, and in terms of the suggestions, of course, they don't know. But Linda and I may have most likely, if we're doing a style as specific, you know, some of those really specific styles. We've definitely done some research and some work. It doesn't mean like this is exactly what we're going to play and that's exactly what they're going to sing. But it does mean that we've familiarized ourselves with the genre because all of us have music that we know better, the music we love. You know what I mean? I grew up listening to jazz and blues. I grew up in Chicago, you know, so you listen to blues like there's style and then you know I was into the pretenders and talking heads so there's genres I know way better than other genres you know and we're we all do so that research part is one of the really interesting challenges particularly of whose line because when you're doing a live show people don't tend to say specific artists they don't tend to say Rihanna 
they say R and B. Yeah. Right. So you can be, you can have just a sort of wider thing <laughs> rather than going. Oh, so what does make Rihanna sound like Rihanna? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. And with the the sort of the research and the work that goes into it and the work you do with Linda, did the likes of Wayne and some of the other performers like Jeff or Jonathan and that do a lot of the singing, did they sort of have sessions with you as well? Or Some, is there a research separate? Sometimes they do. And particularly if they're, if they do want a, um, like an impersonation. So again, like if we're going to do Rihanna, you do kind of have to figure out where in Wayne's voice he can sound like her. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so sometimes you do have to fool around a little bit with keys and stuff to find out where he can do that best impression. Um, I remember we did, uh, Jonathan Mangum did Rick Astley, I think. <laughs> and who actually always sounds, kind of sounds like he's singing lower than he actually is. Like he's got that, that <laughs> voice, you know. And it took us forever to kind of figure out like where that could be. But once we did that, then it's like now Jonathan goes and that you know he then that's it that's sort of as far as we go with it he gets a chance to practice the the impersonation but then again like I said on the show he doesn't know we don't know when it's going to come up or if it's going to come up that show that episode it might come up in greatest hits it might be you know a song to an audience member we don't know that and we don't know the suggestion and we don't have a completely like pre-written song we sort of have elements what i would call elements that we can piece together it's really interesting that you mentioned about the key of the voice because i'd never really considered that but i myself i don't have great range i'm kind of baritone very middle and i struggle to go too high or too low uh, whereas when i see wayne perform i'm like is there nothing this guy can't do he can go high he can go low he, just anything he's like freddie mercury in terms of his range absolutely He's so incredible that he, yeah, he's, he's very, he has a really wide range and he knows how to use all those parts of his voice too, right? Because a lot of times like a guy might have falsetto, but they just get up there and they're like, I don't know what I'm doing up here. <laughs> um, but right, so he can sing everywhere. It's not like he's limited. But again, if he's trying to sound like Elton John, there's probably a sweet spot in his voice that is yeah. going to sound the most like Elton John. And that's the, that's the little bit of futzing. But, you know, if you're doing, like, sometimes people will say to me, say we're doing a workshop, and they'll go, like, I like to sing in A, and that's the only key I want to sing in. And it's like, well, you don't get to choose that for one thing. Um, but the other thing is, the great thing about improvised songs, if you're not doing a set melody like a hoedown, if you're not doing a set melody, you get to choose the melody. So you can kind of move around within the key in a way that makes sense for your voice. That's the beauty of musical improv um, when it's not pre-structured. Um, and that, so for like, if I was playing an A, uh, the place where an alto would pick to set their melody would probably be different than where you as a baritone would pick your melody, or certainly where a soprano would pick her melody. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we and we get to yay, you know, like <laughs> yay, we get to pick to sing where our voice sounds good. 
you know, and that's one of the great things. We don't have to go, okay, I have to figure out how to sing Some Enchanted Evening in E flat because that's the key it is in South Pacific. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can, you get to, you get to choose yourself, you know. So really in an improvised song without a preset melody, anyone can sing in any key. Yay. <laughs> it's when you're doing something like the hoedown where it has a set melody that like the key that it is on whose line is great for the guys. But if we have women, it's terrible for them. Right. It's like yeah. it's either too high or too low. Right. So they either have to adjust the melody or they have to sing way up high where they don't really want to, where most of them don't want to, you know, uh, but it's, you know, it's because we mostly have the boys. So we're putting it in the key that is good for them. But when I do it in a workshop, I change the key so that it's more user friendly for the women. <laughs> and do you ever come away from the piano and have a go at doing what the performers are doing? Do, do you have a go at sort of joining in with any of the games? Um, I I have had sometimes like we, you know, in a live show a, a few times I've done stuff like... Um, you know, like if a conducted story, you know, that game where it's, you know, so you're just doing a part of it. You don't have to sort of carry the whole, the whole scene yeah. in a way that, you know, so I've done those kind of things in live shows with the guys. And a lot of times, like if I'm improvising in a musical, an improvised musical or a herald or something like that, especially if it's a smaller group, then I will sometimes be a character. You know, and yeah. but a lot of times we make my character be someone who's behind a counter or a desk. So, <laughs> so that way I can stay behind the piano, because if I go out on stage and then we want to go to a song, I have to hurry back to the piano. Whereas if I'm the receptionist who's behind the desk and we want to go to a song, I'm right there. So, um, yeah, so I have played many <laughs> waitresses behind counters, receptionists behind desks, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I enjoy doing it, but it's funny, like people a lot of times are like, why don't they let you, well, the big, like, why don't they let you improvise? A, I am improvising. And B, the music side is what I really love. I don't feel like, oh, I wish I were an actor and I'm stuck being a musician at all. Yeah. I know sometimes people are that way. Sometimes improv groups will be like, hey, one of our players knows how to play piano, so they are now kind of relegated over there because we all want to do music. And sometimes they feel like it's a drag that they're stuck there. I never, I came from being a musician first. <laughs> And I, although I, I certainly enjoy when I'll do little bits of the acting side, I've never been like, I want to be an actor and I'm stuck here. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be here, you know? Yeah. And when the show did come back uh, with Aisha Tyler as the host, I, mm -hmm. I remember there was a bit of talk. People were like, oh, it's not going to be the same without Drew. And well, yeah, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be different because it's, it's always going to change and evolve and it's going to be what Aisha makes it. And the more I've been watching, because I've been catching up loads since it's on telly here now, I just love the rapport she has with everyone. I love when she gets up and gets involved with things and she just doesn't take herself too seriously. I think she's a great host. I do too. It's a completely different vibe from Drew. You know what I mean? And I loved Drew and I love Aisha. I love both of them. But yeah, so many people were 
like stuck with Drew. Like they couldn't give her a chance because at least in the very beginning, because they're like, she's not Drew. Of course she's not Drew. She's completely different. She has different references. She has a different energy. The, the, the connection, the thing that's the same with them is they are both very good with the audience and very good with that, like really personable, you know, doing all those intros and stuff. That's yeah. the, that's the thankless part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have to figure out a way to bring life and energy and like a personable thing to it. And both Drew and Aisha are very good at that. That's the way that they're the same. But there's so many ways they're different. And I'm like, I don't get it why they can't, why people have to go, oh, no, it's one or the other. You know what I mean? Like, they're both good in different ways. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple, a couple of questions I want to ask. One is about filming. So when you film, I'm assuming you film sort of lots together. Because sometimes when I watch, I'm like, oh. In in episode two, Colin was wearing this, and then in episode four, he was wearing that. So they just fill them all in one, and then they split them around so they mix them up a bit, right? Absolutely, and that's very observant because most people don't notice that. Like we'll, you know, so we, when we do a tape day, you know, we need six or seven segments to make a show. Yeah. Maybe yeah. sometimes five if something goes longer, right? But you know, approximately six or seven. Um, but we've taped maybe. 25 or 30 all in one day right including those extra like i was saying with with the greatest hits we might have done a couple extras in there right or a couple extras of like a game like hats or um you know where they're where they're popping onto screen and pop off props you know those kind of games we might have you know they may show 12 of them we might have done 20 and they picked the best 12. Anyway, so we're just taping and taping. It's a really long night. Um, and everyone's exhausted by the end. But actually, sometimes when we get tired is, you know how sometimes you get a little loopy when you're tired and it's actually funny. <laughs> but um, and then they just chop them up. Yeah, absolutely. But and people go, oh, so do you change clothes? It's like, no, we don't change clothes. None at all. And nobody, you're the first person I've ever known who's right. noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> well, things to look for. Uh, Colin shirts and Ryan shoes generally. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, good, good tip for the viewers, huh? <laughs> now everyone will start going. Wait, have I seen that shirt before? <laughs> uh, something else that uh, sticks out to me as well is certainly in the newer version of the show, you have lots of guest stars that come out, and because of the way the show is edited, it could be that that guest is in sort of three or four consecutive scenes and they get an intro and an outro and an intro and an outro and it's just like why like for a tv person just watching it they're like why are they just bringing in a minute out because they they might not realize that oh they've actually gone and sat down for a good amount of time in the green room and then they've been called back out that's why they're getting their intros and the other thing about that is sometimes i think oh they are genuinely surprised to see this person isn't it weird that that person just sat there by themselves in the green room waiting to be a surprise guest? And then I, I wonder, oh, actually, are there a, a group of them together because they're filming back-to-back episodes? So there's actually quite a few guests sat together. Wow, you are thinking this through in a way that most people have not. That's exactly right. So there, there, there we might have, say, two or three special guests backstage, like sequestered away, in their own dressing room, and then they're popping out. Um, 
we used to, there used to be a bottle of champagne back there for them at the beginning. But the problem is like by the time the third guest would get on, sometimes they'd be a little tipsy. But that's a whole nother story. Because they might have been sitting there, like literally if we're taping for five hours, four and a half, five hours, that third guest might not get out there till hour four. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it, can be a, it can be a long night for them as well. But yes, exactly. We may have a few different guests. We may just have one um, because not every episode has a special guest, but most do. Yeah. And then sometimes they'll do more than one segment and sometimes we use them more than one segment, but sometimes they don't. Right. So it may be that they taped two, but the second one didn't go so great. So we just use the one strong one, you know, or they, I mean, it's, I'm not, I'm not making the editing decisions, the producers, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, um, but that's exactly right. And they do try and keep it a surprise. And so when you see people be surprised, they, they, they pretty usually genuinely are every once in a while, you'll happen to see someone, you know, in the parking lot realize oh my gosh that's going to be our guest today you know but but mostly it's a surprise i love it as well i i watch very carefully the faces of the performers when the person comes out and i can see when they're listening particularly hard to the introduction because sometimes they don't know who the person is Sometimes. And they're trying to figure it out, right? Yeah, they're listening yeah. to the intro and going, oh, okay, it's a, you know, it's an athlete, okay. You know, yeah, you can see him trying to piece it together. I know, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah. But then obviously sometimes they're like huge stars that come on, uh, like like David Hasselhoff, Richard Simmons, people like that. And then obviously just the delight in the faces, like, oh my God, I get to do something with this person. Right, right. And sometimes those guests... They actually want to walk walk through a little bit beforehand, so then they don't want to be a surprise to the actors uh, okay. because they want the opportunity to like be on the stage and get a feel. It's it's it is like a, a regular TV show, but it is a little different the way it's shot, the where the cameras are, and all that. So sometimes they're like, I want to just be on stage with the other actors and get a sense of. Do I go, if I go this far left, am I off camera? Am I on camera? You know, so sometimes they want that, which I totally get. I mean, the thought of going out without any of that knowledge, as well as now you're improvising, you know, yeah. is, uh, it, it, you know, that that's pretty, that's pretty challenging. I remember the first time Stephen Colbert was on in the first, you know, with Drew, yeah. and he was on as a fourth chair, though. You know, that's what we call, right, he was on as the fourth chair. And so we do a whole walkthrough blocking thing for that because you have to be in a very specific spot for a game like Hats. Then here's where you're off camera, here's where you en you've entered, you know. So you need to have that sense of what's where, and particularly for specific games. And Stephen just had this little notebook. It was so <laughs> adorable, but because he was like, I don't want to be the one who screws up a take by thinking I'm on camera and I'm halfway on the shot and halfway not, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, he's so like conscientious. And I mean, I already knew Stephen a little bit from Second City, but I was like, man, this is a guy who, he wants to do a good job. He wants to 
you know, and he wants to do it right the first time. He doesn't want there to have to be a, okay, we got to stop and let's go back and play that game again because, Stephen, you were halfway off camera, you know. <laughs> uh, so I've just seen the time. I'm going to start bringing this to an end. But um, before we go, there's, there's things I know you want to advertise. So can we... <laughs> Can we let people know how they can access all things Laura Hall? Well, everything that I that I do, like my calendar and all the stuff that I have, is on laurahall.com. So that's easy. It's easy to get there. Um, my big COVID project <laughs> was that I created an online video course to teach people how to do what I do, the musician side of improv. There's very little instruction for it. Um, I was so lucky because, like I said in the beginning, I learned from listening to Fred Kaz. I I was at the feet of the master. I really, you know, I really feel that way. And so I kind of learned it by by hearing him and then just going out on the road with the touring company. But there's just not much instruction in how to do my side of things. And um, and and. Because typically there's only one musician in an improv group and lots of actors and directors and coaches tend to know how to deal with the actors and nobody knows what to say to the musician. You know, they'll be like, that was good or that didn't work. But they don't know how to say, they don't know how to help the musician become better at what they do. So I created this online course. It's it's on teachable.com. I think it's in the UK as well. I think teachable is in Europe and the UK. Um, and it's called A Musician's Guide to Improv Comedy. And it does go kind of step by step through how you approach transitions between scenes, how you do improvised songs that are structured, like a hoedown, that are unstructured, like, um, you know, like if you're improvising a musical, or in the sort of in-between, like a game like Greatest Hits. And um, it's, it's so, it's really thorough. I will say this, you have to know how to play your instrument first. Yeah. I had one student who was like, I, I, you didn't teach me how to play piano. And I'm like, oh no, no, I'm not. It's not to teach you how to play piano. It's how to teach you. You don't have to be a virtuoso, but you do have to have a basic knowledge of either piano or guitar, your basic instrument. And now you're adapting it to improv. Um, and it's super, and it's very specific. It gives really specific guidelines in all that stuff, and also even in ways to communicate with the actors, to communicate with your coach or or director. Because again, a lot of times it's like we're speaking two different languages. Um, so there's that. I wrote a book. It was inspired by I wrote a book. I co-wrote a book before that about about the subject. And then the other thing that I have that improvisers use a lot is um, it's called improv karaoke, and it's tracks for people. If you don't have a musician, it's tracks that people can improvise to. So it's in several different genres, right? So there's one that's like a folk song, another that's like 80s pop, another that's like Nirvana-ish, you know, (laughs) there are all these different genres and you can, and people who don't have a musician will use them for classes or even shows and um and so the it comes with a little bit of tutorials on each of them and I had people come in my studio and improvise songs like I had Keegan Michael Key and Dan Castellaneta who's the voice of Homer Simpson and my husband Rick and we came in and, and they came in and improvised songs to be like a demo to show you how it could work 
awesome. So, so those are really fun for people who want to get into music improv, but maybe don't have a musician or don't always have a musician. The difference with that, though, is, you know, when you're singing to tracks, it's like karaoke. It keeps going, whether or not you're there, whereas a live musician can make those adjustments for you. Um, yeah. And that's a different experience. But it's a great, it can be a great way in for people. So all that stuff, it's, you, if you go to laurahall.com, it will lead you to the right place. And if you go to Teachable and look for it, there's like a little introductory video and stuff, too, if you have more questions. Or you could email me. It's laura at laurahall.com. I know that's really confusing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, there we go. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Ian. It's been a joy talking with you, too. Well, there we go. Thank you so much to Laura for this interview. Now, it's one of those things where to me, this was just kind of a pipe dream. I thought if I reach out to Laura, the chances are I would hear nothing in return. Or if I did, it would just be a thanks, but no thanks. But I've got to say from, from the moment I reached out, she's just been delightful, so friendly, so positive, so easy to communicate and get along with. And the fact that she did this for me to come on the show it's just, I, I can't even put it into words how special it is for me. And I hope that you really felt from this interview um, just the joy in the conversation because I love doing the show and I, I talk to people all the time. Uh, but this was the first time I've really come into this and I was nervous because here I am talking to this person that I have adored from afar for just so many years. I have watched Whose Line year after year after year it's been a massive part of my life and Laura Hall is just such an instrumental part of the show instrumental pun intended there an instrumental part of the show and here I am having a chat with her and she's she's telling me stories about the show she's giving me sort of insider information and just just talking so passionately about the show after all of these years you know she is part of what makes whose line work and i thank her so much for coming on for this chat and again you the listener i really hope that you have come away from this episode of the podcast with a big smile on your face the way that i had a big smile on my face for a long time after the chat I think, I don't really know what I was expecting going into it. I don't plan my conversations ever. I love them to be just sort of natural, organic conversations. I didn't really know where the conversation would take us, but where it went, I am super pleased. I think, you know, the the insight she was able to give, this is somebody that is, in, in, in many ways, she's a bit like Meatloaf in that Meatloaf is, is the only person really in the genre of meatloaf. What I refer to as rock opera, lots of other people call it rock opera or other things. Um, But there was really only sort of meatloaf in that category. And Laura Hall, she is like the pinnacle of a very niche community. The, The musical improv. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about the actual 
provider of the music because there's lots of people that like to get involved with musical improv but then they're getting involved in like, the performer singing side of things to actually be the musician that is a, a very very small minority out there in the world and I would say that Laura Hall is probably like the, the head honcho of this very niche community and for me what an honor it was to talk to her about this thing that she has really made her own and I hope you come away from listening to this show not just with a smile on your face but feeling like you were part of the conversation I hope that the questions I was asking are things that you would like to have asked I hope that the information that she gave about the different performers and the way the the format of Whose Line works uh, have really sort of opened your eyes to a few things and I just want to say one final massive thank you to Laura for taking the time to have this chat with me. It really was an absolute pleasure. I also want to say a big shout out to Emma Bird, the mother of Liverpool Comedy Improv, because if it wasn't for her, this show wouldn't exist and so many great things in my life wouldn't exist. Um, So I got involved in Liverpool Comedy Improv a couple of years ago now and it led me to finding, um, well, basically it led me to starting the next chapter of my life. It led me to finding my wonderful girlfriend, Seki. It led me to finding my incredible Oikas troupe, my improv troupe, the Oikas. It led me to this podcast. It's led me to connecting with people all over the world to discuss this thing that I love so much, improv. It, it's, it's led me to sort of moving out and moving into the the next phase of my life with Seki it's led me into starting my own uh, improv community Flincher Funny Boat Improv which Seki and I have recently started and all of that has come because I decided to say yes and and go along to my first Liverpool comedy improv session so improv is a great thing and improv communities are a wonderful thing and if anyone is out there thinking oh maybe maybe I'd like an improv community in my area maybe there isn't one maybe you have to travel a long way to get involved you know Emma is a great inspiration she wanted something it wasn't there and now it's there and that's where I've been at recently you know it, it's hard for me to get to lots of the in-person improv things so created one a lot closer to me in North Wales, uh, Seki and I. So just a big thank you to Emma Bird because this is just me. This is the impact you've had on my life, but I I know that this impact um, has been felt by many, many other people. And if you're an international listener and you're not able to get along to Liverpool Comedy Improv in person, don't forget that it does exist online and you can attend drop-in sessions on a Wednesday. Check out the Liverpool Comedy Improv website for more details. And yeah, it'd be great for you to be a part of the Liverpool Comedy Improv community. I just want to talk again about what Laura was mentioning at the end of her chat there. LauraHall.com really is... um, the one-stop shop for all things Laura Hall. Check out the website. Any information you need about her, about services that she provides, about courses she runs, it's all on the website. 
and also her course is available on Teachable, so do check that out because you know it's it's a really unique opportunity to learn from the very best. And that pretty much is going to start winding down this week's episode. But remember, if you are interested in getting into improv or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene, then all the info you need can be found at www.liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk. You can also check us out on Facebook by searching for Liverpool Comedy Improv and on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Live Comedy Improv. You can find this show on Facebook. Just search for the Liverpool Comedy Improv cast on Facebook and you'll find our page and every Thursday we'll be dropping a link which gives a little bit of a teaser of what is to come in the next episode and then every Monday we drop a link to the episode and if you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird I will make arrangements as soon as possible I know there's still so many great guests out there yet to be discovered and I would love to chat to you and hear your improv journey Don't forget, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, then a five-star rating and a lovely little review will do a lot to really help boost the show and get our name out there. If you're interested in following me on social media in any way, shape or form, then I exist on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Just search for at Ian Luke Jones on all of those platforms and you will find me. I am currently putting out a little comical video every Wednesday on my YouTube channel called Humorous Moment. It's literally about 30 seconds and it's just something to hopefully put a little smile in your face and get you over that midweek hump. There's also lots of other great content on my YouTube, uh, so feel free to go there and check it out, whether you love improv or music or travel. There's, there's something from all of those genres on my channel. And that is pretty much it for this week. I am so, so very grateful for the opportunity to speak with Laura it, it was it well it was an incredible experience and I hope that you really enjoyed listening I was a bit frustrated that I had some technical issues and you know the, the voice quality isn't what I'm used to with the show and what the, the, you're not used to listening to as a regular listener but I still am really proud of the way that the interview turned out so thank you very much for taking the time to listen So before we go, as always, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember, whatever the situation, to treat life like improv and yes and...